Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast, dedicated to modern sales and marketing, innovation, and leadership. Here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman, and welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast. I'm joined this week by Chad Sanderson. Chad's an award-winning sales marketing and business strategy consultant, and he works with global companies, partnering with them to optimize their sales across markets and verticals. We're going to talk about the biggest misconception people have about generational differences when it comes to sales. We'll talk about how a shape sorter plays into these generational roles and the key elements to stories that will connect people regardless of their age and background. You're going to have a great time listening to Chad Sanderson. Chad Sanderson, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, don't don't jump to conclusions that it's great to be here yet. We just got started. <laughs> oh, just from the warm up, this has been amazing. I'm I'm in. All right, cool. Hey, can you start by sharing something surprising about you that our audience may not know? Yeah, so it's a great question, right? I I would have to say for those that have either run into me, seen me, know me, um, you know, I can I can be the professional polished sales guy, but I also uh, most would know I am heavily tattooed. But the very surprising thing is I actually was a published poet uh, in college and traveled the country giving readings at universities and coffee houses. And once somebody sits down across the table for me for 10 minutes, and then that comes up at some point, you can just see the disconnect in their head. <laughs> Well, I've already got a disconnect and I'm thinking that like, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I want you to answer each question as a haiku or a sonnet. <laughs> no, I, I want to clarify that was back in college and, and yeah, there's not a lot of, I mean, I'm bald as a baby, but I, there is not a lot of anything but gray in my goatee anymore. So I'm not <laughs> sure I could even remember the structure of a haiku. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so what I wanted to talk about today is I know you've got a lot of experience working with organizations where there are different generations, which is basically any organization now has got these and probably since the beginning of time has had these cross-generational um, people working together. But there's definitely been some changes in in the last five to 10 years. What's the greatest misconception that you think people have when it comes to generations and the world of selling? I would say, you know, from my perspective, it's interesting, the generational differences, if you go from baby boomer to now we have Gen Z in, in the workplace as well, and everything in between, um, as those gen- as you get closer to the more, more recent generations, the subtleties and differences between the individuals are greater. So I think one of the misconceptions I see is that um, one piece of technology will, will work for everyone when you have completely different engagement models, pe- the way people want to learn, the way people communicate. And technology and, and those types of hard and fast processes uh, are built to the middle. Right. They're built, they're typically built around, okay, we want to get the largest percentage of people. That is becoming harder and harder as we have, especially Gen Z, come into the workplace. And it creates some serious overhead and sales challenges, uh, specifically behavioral challenges for sales management, which is typically still, you know, baby boomer, maybe uh, Gen, Gen X. Right. And so, not understanding that that diversity is now a critical element that has to be addressed is something I see a lot of people wrestle with because they want to have this misconception that there is one ring to rule them all, so to speak. Yeah. And, and there isn't. And I think that's something that, that people are wrestling with a lot. Cool. So, so give, me, give me some examples of how that plays out. 
Um, so I'll actually steal something and I'll, I'll attribute it to him. There's a gentleman named Ryan Avery, uh, who I know that I've worked with and, and he explains it in what to me has been kind of the best description and I've lifted it from him, but I always attribute it. If you think of the generations as shapes, right? If you think of baby boomers like a triangle, everything was hierarchical. Everything was, you know, you had to earn your spot at the Thanksgiving table. You had to earn, you know, the right to get a job or, or something. I mean, I didn't get to the adult table at Thanksgiving until I was 39, right? So you had, you had to wait. And then yeah, we'll but, jump. But, but, you know, Chad, let me interrupt for a sec. Yeah. As, as I explained to one of my brothers when we were at an event recently and he said, hey, man, look at this. We're at like, we're at like the big people's, t- like we're at the, <laughs> we're at the, like the most senior table now. Yep. I quickly explained to him that there is no other table. like we're at our last station at that point there's no table that comes after it so you can you can you can you can celebrate the victory but guess what oh yeah no upside anymore so anyhow it's very brief celebration very brief celebration so so the so we got these shapes so the triangle for the boomers yes you got triangle for boomers and then i'm going to jump over and i'm going to i'm going to talk about millennials for a second so millennials are very circular right from the moment they were born they were told they were important they probably had their baby seat attached to the adult table at Thanksgiving, right? And they, you know, typically had college paid for and, and they had much more digital input um, and things like that. So they, they don't, don't necessarily understand that hierarchical nature. So there's a view of the world difference that happens between boomers and millennials. You got Gen X in between the two and I'm Gen X. Gen X are kind of like squares. We totally get the hierarchical thing. We understand, even though, you know, all generations are called the lost generation anymore. But when I was growing up, we were going to destroy the world because we were lazy and skeptical. Well, we're also extremely hard workers. We understand the, the hierarchical nature of it. And we think the millennial thing is cute. Like we get it, but we also understand that it doesn't necessarily blend well. And then you've got Gen Z, which is really kind of amorphous. When I draw this out on a board, I actually draw a cloud. They're all over the place. They are so individualized. They're, ben- they're bending genders, norms, everything in business, in personal interaction. And there is a huge challenge for even some Gen X, specifically baby boomers, I think, and, and I don't like generalizations, but I kind of need to do that, to really understand how this is going to play out in business, um, how this is going to impact. And, and it shows up, one of the first places it shows up that I've seen it show up in clients is pronouns. And the, so the changing of pronouns, I've, I have clients where actually when somebody from the team or a team of individuals present a presentation, it's their name, their title, and their pronouns. And it's jarring. I've seen it actually jar uh, older audiences because it's really hard for them to wrap their head around. And so those differences create a need from a management leadership and coaching standpoint to really go back to basics. And instead of trying to set a baseline, uh, a standard baseline and process, which everybody needs, well, it, and a standard organization, they need to try and standardize behavior. Well, it's, it's interesting. I had, I had a workshop that I delivered um, recently, and one of the attendees was in that Gen Z category, and they commented to their boss. They said, well, I mean, you know, we started and and he didn't ask what anyone's pronouns were. Yeah. And and the and the and the and their boss said, um, okay, you realize that he addressed everyone by name, right? <laughs> and they, well, but 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 Ian didn't use people's pronouns. And they said, Yeah, because he addressed everyone by their name. Like it's not like he mis you know misspoke and mislabeled you with a pronoun. 
he called you by your name. Right. And he asked you, what name do you like to be called in the session? And that's the name you give him. And then he recognized everybody's face and called you by name. They're like, well, I guess that's true. And then it was interesting because one of the other pieces of feedback, and, and I, I always, I'm always seeking feedback. And someone said, well, I, there wasn't enough diversity in this slide. So, and I was like, man, you know, I thought I was pretty good at this. Right. I looked back through and I had nine slides that had people in them. Right. Three of them just had males. Three of them just had, just had females and three of them had a combination of males and females. And I know there's people in Gen Z saying, yeah, but you left out a whole category. I'm sure. But, but <laughs> yep. for simplicity's sake, let's just, just go with that in terms of these are the people that I would, I would characterize my interpretation is these were men, these were women, et cetera. And, yeah. and it's funny because on, there was, there's one slide with two Caucasian males two slides that have people, you know, males of um, different ethnic um, backgrounds. The three slides with the women all have, you know, diverse backgrounds and the three slides that have men and women in each case, there's, there are five people on them and three of them are women, two of them are male. And it's all kind of the, you know, the United colors of Benetton in terms of people's backgrounds. And so I shared shared this um, with the, with the, the company and he said, yeah, it's, he said, it's kind of interesting because he said, I'm somewhat concerned that our team focused on that because, <laughs> well, because yeah. he said, because now that you've actually looked into it, he said, well, it's really just this one slide. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. But, but it was one of a hundred slides and it was one of nine slides and, you know, but it's, but it's interesting, but, you know, but we have to be sensitive to those things. Well, and I remember it just like, I remember the first time it showed up on a feedback form for me and I, it wasn't slides for me. It was, I used, I said something along the lines of, come on, you guys, you got this. And somebody said, Hey, you shouldn't use the word guys. And I, it, it, I want to be sensitive. Like I was trying to be as diverse as possible, but for me, that's a huge behavior and language change because when I say, Hey, you guys, I am not talking about males. I'm talking about everybody in the room. And yeah. so one customer said he, he, we were talking about it over a drink and he says, yeah, he goes, I've actually switched back to y'all. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> funny. It's funny. Our, 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 our daughter goes to school at, she's a junior at Tulane in New Orleans. And, um, and she jokingly says, yeah, when people get upset about pronouns, she said, I'm just glad that I've adopted y'all. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, it's the, it's the catch all now. Yeah. It's and kind it, of funny. And it's, a, it's an interesting challenge though, right? Because now, now you have these diverse, you have such diverse, I mean, there's always been, as you mentioned, there's always been different generations in, in the workplace in sales, which in B2B sales, which is such a person to person, still a person to person business, depending on how you get there, you're using a lot of technology, but it is still a trust and credibility kind of sure. thing. That requires connection. That requires uh, the building of trust, the building of credibility, the building of rapport. And, and what we see is when you have all of these differences, millennials and then into Gen Z and all these sensitivities, uh, it becomes even more difficult for people to connect. Then combine it with the fact that most of them have grown up with their face, you know, four inches from some type of screen and, and will text somebody sitting on the other end of the couch rather than turn around and talk to them. And now you have a disconnect in just general communication and how to, how to interact just at a basic level, 
then throw on top of it all of these generational differences, and it creates a significant challenge uh, as organizations scale and want to be diverse and want to have the cultures that attract the top talent. Uh, for them to be able to put in place things that will still allow business results to be predictable. Well, and, and it's and it's interesting because I think that, and I'm cur- I'm curious to get your thought on this. Is I almost look at it as it's a natural evolution, meaning. If you look back 50 years, this discussion was almost entirely gender driven. It was, look, traditionally there were men in these roles, and now all of a sudden there there are women in these roles, and how do people adapt to that? And over the years, we've gotten somewhat um, gender blind and certainly gotten much better at that. And then probably 30 years ago, it was, you know, there was probably, it was probably more prevalent that it was race based and it was, well, you know, what is this person doing here? Because the person who had been there forever had only seen their race, hadn't seen anybody else and didn't know what to do with it. And now we, we get people in Gen Z who are introducing things that for people who aren't familiar with that, we say, what the heck is that? But guess what? <laughs> it's the same issue that's happened from being a time. It's, you know, it's just different things that, you know, the, the, the people who are older, need to be tolerant of these new ideas and understanding and, and, and embracing of them. And the people who are younger also need to be tolerant and engaging and embracing of the people who don't quite get it yet. And, and not, not assume that those people are like, Oh, this person, they didn't use my pronouns. So they must not respect me. No, you know what? Or, it just never occurred to them that that might offend somebody and they're right. making every effort and they're a good person. They just, it just didn't occur to them that that would matter to people in the room. Right. Absolutely. Well, and then layer on top of that. So, and I, and I agree with you 100%. There's always been something, right? There's always, and there's going to continue to be something. And then there's other, these other trends that we see that are getting in the way. Oh, I don't want to say getting in the way. They're impacting it, which is everybody's desire for a frictionless experience now, right? So CX, everybody, usually when I do a class, I ask how many people have an Amazon Prime app and, you know, 80% of the room raises their hand. And I said, you know, why do you like it? And I said, well, I get what I want, where I want, when I want, on my terms, and I get reviews and I get and free music. And I had one guy tell me he was excited about drones delivering, but whatever. Um, And then, you know, I I step back and I say, okay, understand that over the last 12 years, companies have invested hundreds of millions of dollars in this concept of CX, customer experience, which is just a really nice way of saying, hey, I want to keep my hand in your wallet longer and I want you to actually be okay with it. And so now those B2C experiences are changing buyer expectations. So they want on the B2B side, they want a frictionless sales experience. In order to do that, depending on who you are interacting with, what generation they're in, what role inside of the sales organizations, you now have a matrix of possible variables that becomes extremely difficult to manage. Not that it can't be solved, not that it can't be cracked. It's, I think, just sometimes a little bit more, you know, some, somebody will focus on pronouns. Well, that's one element of the shifting environment in which we are operating. And it it comes down to when you boil it all down, it's like, how do people connect with each other? It's mutual respect, mutual accountability. But these are concepts in some cases that are taught differently or not taught um, or are not reinforced as, as people, you know, ascend through school and, and into the, the workplace that as Simon Sinek points out, it's now up to corporate America to address. Sure. And it's fascinating because one of the things that, that I often look at is, 
people will say, oh, yeah, so I talked to this client, and then a few days later, I sent this follow-up note. I said, it's too long. Like, what do you mean? I said, dude, we have a society that is has now become accustomed to getting everything before they ask for it. Yeah. So if you send a follow-up note three days later, the client has already forgotten about you. Yeah. I said, absolutely. because they want to know, hey, I'm working on it. You'll get it in two hours, and then it arrives in an hour. They're like, well, well, that's a crazy expectation. I said, no, no. When they order, you know, when they when they order hot cocoa mix from Amazon, they get that level of communication around when their hot cocoa is going to be delivered on their front doorstep. Yep. So that's their expectation. I said, when you ship a package, you know where it is at every station along the way. And now you talk to that client and you say, oh, I'll get you something next week. And then it goes in this black hole and then it comes back out with no communication. The clients think to themselves, yeah, this isn't the experience I'm looking for. And you right. think you've just done a stellar job because you did what you said you were going to do. <laughs> Yeah. You just happen to, you're just not taking into account how fast everyone's moving. We do, I do an exercise in class where it's, where I even show them, can show people with a couple of slides, how their own brain's working against them because we're inundated with so much information today. Our brain actually smooths things over. Right. And so when we do this little exercise and everybody, I would say 98% of the people in class get it wrong. Everybody's like, Whoa. Right. And so it's, it's slow down to speed up and be consistent in the way that you connect and communicate with other human beings. And it, one of the easiest ways to do that is through storytelling. But then again, how do people tell stories? They don't have a framework, right? Some of them don't understand. And I don't think, I mean, I was an English major as an undergrad. So Joseph Campbell's, you know, face of a thousand hero with a thousand faces and all that stuff and Shakespeare and structure totally get it. But when you're talking to a millennial that like to your point, that's too long. Like even yeah. the cliff notes are too long anymore. So how do you break down and consistently communicate and have a conversation? And that requires ability to tell story, ability to be authentic, and a little bit of comfort being vulnerable. Because if you share something about yourself first, uh, it, it starts to build the trust faster. And there's these certain techniques you can employ, but they're not things that are being focused on. They're kind of ancillary to, hey, we just bought this new piece of tech that has AI machine learning and quantum mechanics in it, which is going to solve all of our problems. Everybody use it. Great, <laughs> but we haven't, worked on the, we haven't worked on the core behavioral perspective, which is going to then feed this outreach or whatever it is that you're doing through this tech. And you're still going to have inconsistency. So, Chad, my, my guess is that the key to the shortened story is not just skipping the vowels and it's not putting <laughs> it's and it's not putting it in the context of just a haiku, um, giving giving your giving your poetic background. So let's let's give our audience some some guidance on, look, if you're going to use stories, where should you, where should they use them? How should they use them so that, you know, one of my keys to this show is I always want to make sure people walk away with something they can use and apply. Sure. Absolutely. So it, it comes down to a conversational framework, right? So the tool that we use, it's called a value prompter. And the key to this, the key to this tool is first and foremost, don't talk about yourself first, ask a couple of questions. So you get an understanding of the other person's perspective. Don't go in with like, Hey, I'm going to tell you a story. 
because maybe I'm telling you a story about snowboard, you know, the snowboarding accident we were talking about earlier, or I'm telling you a story about my Harley and you don't give a crap about snowboarding or Harleys, right? It's not going to resonate. So understand you have to start with just a couple questions and then shut up and listen first and foremost. (laughs) And then from there, once you identify what that other person is starting to see as a problem, you can illustrate that even with a business story, you know, Hey, we worked with another customer that was experiencing the same problem. They had, they approached it this way and working with them or, or connecting them with another solution, they were actually able to generate X. Is that something that's going to be valuable to you? So it's three or four sentences that illustrate the point surrounded by questions that show you're really trying to make sure you're interested in the other person's perspective. You want to uncover. And and you're asking questions to uncover their challenges, what's important to them. So you're putting everything in their context. Yeah. It's not rocket science, right? It's, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've done research with over 10,000 CEOs and executives and how they make and approve decisions. And the questions they ask are the same questions, no matter what the size of the business, no matter where they are in the world, which is when, when, when faced with a decision to approve or deny a request to spend serious money on something, the questions they ask are, what problem does this solve? Why do we need it? And what's the likely outcome or result? Absolutely. And so if we know that, then look, first thing we got we to gotta get is the context around what problem they're trying to solve. Then we have to understand, is the problem worth solving? And then we have to help them see if the way we've solved it for other people, if they feel that's going to resonate with them. Absolutely. And the answer is, if it's not, then don't keep playing a bad hand. <laughs> right. Yeah, which is what a lot of salespeople do. They'll hold on to stuff in the pipeline. and Oh, no, no, it's, it's going to move. It's, gonna, it's been in there for 18 months. Well, no, it's going to move. I swear. Really? Yeah. No, it's not going anywhere. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you're telling me there's a chance. Love that line. I mean, but if we think about it, it's, it's, none of this is rocket science, but, but because of the generational differences, because of the input and impact technology has on him, has had on human behavior, there is a lack of consistent understanding of what it means to really understand another person's perspective. I mean, we're a joke in class. We're in this Instagram, everybody duck lip forming society where it's all about me. And okay, fine. That's cool. That's where we're at. But if you're selling, you then need to also understand that it's all about them, which is the same thing we've been saying for years. It's not new. The, the context is just moving and it's creating this opportunity for, I believe, kind of a role, like the way we, the way I would approach it first is a role-based story. Like the one I just gave, Hey, we solved this problem for another customer. This is what they, what we did. This was the outcome it had. Then as you're going into it and you're building that trust and credibility and rapport and you're making it about them, you can share a story that is true and authentic that resonates with that individual's role. So, uh, you know, we worked with other directors or of digital or whatever it may be. And then as you get to know them and, hey, it turns out they're, uh, you know, they're into um, Spartan races and stuff like that. You know, I can share the story about when I tried to do a Spartan race and it took about 20 minutes for me to realize this was not for me. And I just went to the beer tent. And now we're at a personal level, right? Yep. So if we think it, it requires being present, being consciously competent and, and aware, again, none of it's rocket science. But the ability we're seeing for these different generations to pull it off with all of these other things going on uh, is decreasing, making it, I think, even more important uh, for businesses to really focus on. Well, and I, th- I think that that idea that you raise of, look, you need, you need to make sure that it's relevant to them and that you're, look, we solve this for other people. One of the things that, that I often encourage people to do is then you have to disarm, meaning, Look, and, and, you know, we've had great success solving that for other people, but one of the things we've learned is that 
what they specifically needed isn't the same for everybody. So I don't know we can generate the same results for you. Absolutely. Can I learn a little bit more about what it is you're trying to do? And then your trust level just went up exponentially because you're like, oh, you mean this person's not just trying to sell me everything. The other side is when you, when you mentioned this idea of it's all about the customer, I think that the, the single greatest um, ailment that people in sales have is a condition I refer to as axis displacement disorder. And that's where the person who's selling believes the axis of the earth has shifted and now the world revolves around them. Yeah. <laughs> and, Absolutely. and it actually doesn't happen that way. So it's got, you know, here's the funny part. If you make sure that the world revolves around your client, then as a salesperson, you end up having a great deal of success. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you think about it, it, it's a, it's a shift in perspective, but if you look at the way most organizations today are structured, you onboard somebody, what's the first thing you do? You feed them full of all of the product information and all of the things that this product does and how awesome and how cool this product is. And then you unleash them. And so now they go out and they want to tell everybody the story because they drank the Kool-Aid they're into it. And so, and that it has to happen. They have to understand what they're selling. Totally understand that. But they're not being the way onboarding programs or even some enablement programs that I've seen are set up are so focused around me, 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 my company, my solution, that it's really not surprising at all that the field reps or SDRs or anybody that's touching a client defaults to that because they just went through three, six, in some cases, three months of training on all of this stuff with maybe two or three days of, oh, hey, make sure you ask some questions. And it becomes a, it becomes a shift that we, that, and, and awareness, right? You have to be aware that you need to focus on the client. It becomes really hard when somebody's only thinking about making sure that 18 month old deal in the pipeline actually does move someday. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and and the problem is that you're, the client can smell the person who's just focused on the sale. And so the person who's focused on the result. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and if you don't know about the client, you're just focused on the sale. Yeah, agreed. And that's it's it that is also a shift I think because I mean, when I was an individual contributor, I still remember the first executive, we're good friends now that gave me the job. He's like, "Okay, this is sales. You do understand you don't hit your number, you're fired." Yeah, I I get that. That was the pep talk. That was the pep talk. And the, the whole words. culture, yeah, <laughs> the whole culture was set up that way. It was always faster faster, where are you against quota, right? And and it worked to a point because I wanted to be successful. It worked for me, but there are organizations where you see the turnover happen because that focus on such, such a laser focus on the number above all other things, above incenting the right behaviors and above a coach creating a coaching, coaching culture that creates a situation where it becomes even more difficult to fight the trends to really focus on the customer. I know I'm not saying get rid of quotas by no means. Everybody, I think everybody should have a quota. Um, But at the end of the day, that's one element of what it now takes to be successful. And that becomes a challenge when you've got all these other, you know, trends and variables that you have to deal with. So Chad, what's the, what's the biggest thing if there was, if there was one area that you'd say, look, here's where people can move the needle the most in terms of creating that synergy or getting, getting better effective results cross-generationally, where, where should they start? I would say a conversational framework. Conversational framework is, is 
setting the bounds, setting the the game for everybody. It basically says, okay, here's here's the football field. This is the language that this business uses. How you use it, yeah, the room in the framework for you to bring yourself into it, right? But a conversational framework that uh, that allows consistency. Because all the research, you know, if if your audience is familiar with Gong.io, they do a great deal of research. And Chris Orlov over there has sure. amazing research on what sets apart companies that crush it versus companies that don't hit it. And it comes down to one thing, which is consistency of behavior, consistency of selling behavior. In order to have that, you have to have everybody have a common language. And that common language isn't your language. It has to be a language that is of business that allows you to then consistently combine what your company is doing with what it is your prospects need. And that is the biggest biggest thing that I would recommend people focus on. Every time I was training teams or, you know, building up teams, that was the number one thing we focused on and the results were phenomenal. Or, 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 or knocking down teams, but either way, (laughs) either way, it's where, it's where you focus. I'm trying, I was, I was trying to look up and see where the episode is with uh, Chris Orlob because Chris has been on the show um, and it's been a while, but, um, He's we'll a great have, guy. Well, great we'll, guy. Have, we'll have we'll have in the show notes because I'm sure that it'll be there um, somewhere. But the problem is with having, um, as I'm sure you struggle with, when you have hundreds of episodes and you're trying to remember which episode <laughs> right. number was Chris on. Right. Um, I remember we had some we had some great conversations about it, um, and it's probably been a year or two back. But you know, people will. The beauty of the internet is you can search for that stuff. So <laughs> Nothing goes away. Exactly. Hey, Chad, what's the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? Uh, you can hit me up on LinkedIn. It's just uh, IN forward slash Chad Sanderson. Uh, you can shoot me an email, chad.sanderson at com. Or for those that still use the devices for more than just playing games, you can give me a call, 303-834-5932. That's for people who want to know. That's the little phone icon in the lower left corner. You can actually use it to dial a number. I think it's green on most phones. (laughs) Is it? That's awesome. All right, Chad. Cool. Thanks for sharing your wisdom. Hey, thank you for having me. Chad shared some great information. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information you can use and apply to your business right away. First, remember that there are inherent differences in different generations. And I love this idea of the different shapes of boomers see the world as a hierarchy or or set of triangles. Gen X then sees it more like a square. The millennials see it circular. And Gen Z, kind of a scatter diagram. And we're looking for those frictionless levels of interaction. And one of the keys to that is stories. And remember, the idea is that we want to leverage that conversational framework where we're focusing first on the client and their issues, and then illustrate examples with a brief story. Remember, this show gets the direction from you, the listener. There's a topic I should cover or a guest I should have on the program. Just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer. Bye now.